What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today it is just me, Jenna Warner here, and I literally, I think that the episode or the conversation that I just had with our guest today was one of my most favorites I've ever had. I'm literally sweating (laughs) from the emotions of the conversation and feel like our guest, Abby Atwood, is like a long lost sister of mine. Um, We share so many things in common, including our stories Uh, and just the way that this conversation started with, I had three questions that I really wanted to go over. I'm not sure I asked any of them, but I believe that we covered all of them even more beautifully. And Abby in this episode today shares so much of her incredible story. And I'm just so grateful. I shared my what the actual fork moment in the episode itself, um, where I talk about an experience that my, our nanny and my son had today at the library and how they navigated that, um, diet culture involved. So you have to wait for the episode to hear that piece of it, but I'm going to share a little bit more about Abby Atwood. I'm going to read her bio right off her website and you can follow her at Abby Atwood Wellness on Instagram. And that is also her website as well. Or she has a podcast where she is the host of the Full Plate podcast. She is amazing. Her story is amazing. And let me tell you a little bit more about her. So Abby Atwood is an anti-diet weight-inclusive nutritionist with a master's in nutrition. She is also a body image coach, business owner, dog mom, and lover of the outdoors. She's worked in healthcare consulting and at startups for over a decade before returning to graduate school, where she received a master's of science in clinical nutrition and integrative health. Her decision to change careers was a result of her own battle with disordered eating, a slew of injuries, and several autoimmune disease diagnoses. Her gut was telling her to pursue pursue her passion working at the intersection of disordered eating recovery and body image healing. She now lives in the Bay Area with her husband and dogs, and she runs a virtual nutrition and coaching practice and gets to work with amazing human beings all over the globe. Together, they get to the root of body shame and disordered eating. She supports her clients as they rebuild a relationship with their body that is compassionate, kind, liberating, and peaceful. And she is like a breath of freaking fresh air. The way she speaks is so incredibly just profound, Um, just everything. You're just going to want to listen and take notes and just enjoy every word that Abby shares today. 
we talk a lot about relationship with fitness, relationship overall with body, um, and navigating the quote unquote health world. And I'm going to leave it at that because I just want you to enjoy every minute of this episode. Abby, thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to 50% of what the actual Fork Podcast. <laughs> we are missing Sam today, but she's here in spirit. And I am so excited for this conversation because even just before we pressed record, we have so much in common um, and I can't wait to chat about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I first just want to intro you with a hello, and I want to hear if you have a what the actual fork moment of the week, month, day, or year thus far, anything that has stuck out in your mind that has you've come across, whether it be on social media, on one of your runs, um, or just like living life somewhere that has really stopped you in your tracks and made you say what the actual fork is happening. Oh my God. I freaking, I love this question. And it's also <laughs> such a hard question. As you know, doing what we do, it's like my entire day is full of this shit. I'm like, every your phone. <laughs> yeah. Every time I'm like every message I get from a client where they had an interaction with a doctor or like anything I see on social media. I mean, luckily I have really protected myself on social media. I am in a little bubble, which sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I should, you know, check out the, uh, every time a guest tells me that I'm like, I am doing something wrong. <laughs> like, why do I get all the bullshit on my page? <laughs> Wait, are you on TikTok though? Oh yes. Oh yeah. See, that's the thing. I'm not on TikTok. So okay. like, I feel like TikTok is just, oh, the wild west. You cannot control. Constant stream yeah. of fuckery. <laughs> yeah. Total fuckery. Just... Total fuckery. Yeah. 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 <laughs> A hundred percent. No, I have my little protective bubble. I love that. I'm Um, learning. I'm trying. (laughs) As you know, you can, but it gives you content. I'm sure, you know, that's the thing I miss out on. Like it takes, I feel like Instagram is like weeks behind TikTok. And so I learn of things like, like the Heidi Klum thing, I think that was going around maybe last week was probably on TikTok a few (laughs) weeks earlier than that. (laughs) Just a couple, but it's okay. (laughs) But it's things like that. I get late and I'm like, well, whatever. I'll just let other people dive into the mess that is like this, like celebrity diet. Like, please don't. Um, and you know, I would talk about the Heidi Klum thing, except I don't even want to, I don't even want to give it more airtime. The thing that comes to mind is actually a conversation since this happens so many times a day. I'm like just thinking of immediately what just happened. Um, I had a client that I'm working with who just had a chiropractor appointment this morning where <laughs> I see your Sorry. face. I couldn't help it. <laughs> but oh my God, you won't be surprised by this, Jenna, but you know, has been dealing with like joint pain, chronic pain, and and was told by her chiropractor this morning to go on an elimination diet and to lose weight. And I just, if, if that's not a, what the actual fork moment, I don't know. It is, I mean, a practitioners going out of scope and, and talking about nutrition when it's not, you know, and not providing evidence-based care because elimination protocols are not, um, like it's not a scientifically valid approach to joint 
pain and nor is weight loss. So that's, that's just a fun one that comes to mind. That's like so perfect and perfect again for today. You and I are like on the same wavelength. I posted something that this morning about like nutrition advice from a plastic surgeon. Like why, why are you the one talking about children and what they shouldn't be eating for breakfast? That you are a plastic surgeon that's telling their mommies that they need a makeover. Like nothing adds up not a single <laughs> thing. It's so, so, so bad. And it was also just making me think of something that I did see on TikTok this morning. And now it's like escaping my brain because I'm angry about the chiropractors. <laughs> I'm going to let that go <laughs> and then come back to it. And as soon as it hits my brain again, I will write it down this time. But for our listeners who maybe do not follow you yet, which they will at the end of this, and I'm sure so many of them already do because you have an incredible podcast and so much good oh, stuff to thanks. say. Can you tell our um, community just a little bit more about you, who you are, and how you really got to where you are today in your practice and your own recovery to some extent. Um, I read your story right before we hopped on again, and there's just so much good stuff to it. And I relate to so much of what you say. Um, and I would love to take that this episode from there, if you don't mind sharing. No, yeah, no, I, Thank you. Also, I know we have a lot in common, our stories and everything. So um, I am more than happy to share. And I think it's part of, yeah, I mean, it's all of why I ended up where I am is my own story. So um, I often think about like how life would have been so different if I never went down that path of disordered eating, you know, it just, I I wouldn't be here. So, um, so yeah, I, gosh, in, in like lieu of making this take, you know, five hours, (laughs) um, I think the best place to start is that I grew up for sure with like this deep sense of being an athlete. And that was like my identity. Um, and it was a big part of my family's identity too. Um, I also have, you know, my parents were physicians and they're retired, but, you know, I grew up in that kind of, um, it was a very, very food positive household, but that was because of like the thin privilege that my family held there was a lot of like fat anti-fatness just steeped into like the medical space that I grew up around and in, right. Just hearing, just thinking about comments that you overhear all the time when you're a little kid. Um, but I did grow up pretty protected in, in, in terms of my relationship with food for a long time. And I think it was because of being an athlete. It like, people think that gives you this, um, this kind of green light to, you know, they, that's the anti-fatness that shows up in kids, right? Like we give athletes like a green light to eat whatever they want. Um, kids that are active, it's, it's really harmful, but anyways, I had a good relationship with food, but I was a super anxious kid and I had undiagnosed OCD for a long time. And the other thing that happened was I, I ended up getting multiple chronic illnesses when I got older, like kind of college, um, time. And that disrupted my ability to, to kind of compete at the level that I wanted to compete at in running. And it also was the gateway into disordered eating for me because of speaking of like the chiropractor and the elimination protocol. That is like when I started, when I, you know, didn't feel like I was being seen or heard by medical professionals, like many of us with chronic illness, like I started going down the Google rabbit hole of trying to figure it out myself And stumbled into like, oh, you should eat plant-based, you should eliminate gluten, you shouldn't eat dairy, you know, all of the really restrictive messaging. 
And that put me deep into disorder eating coupled with the fact that my OCD had, I mean, honestly, we could do 20 different episodes on all of this, but I'll just try to <laughs> cover some bases. You take but your my, time. <laughs> my OCD definitely, it, it definitely manifested at that time in my life as um, my, my relationship with exercise started to become one of those compulsive behaviors. And in order to like alleviate the anxiety that I was feeling about my autoimmune diseases, about no longer being able to compete in the way that I wanted to, um, and just trying to control what I could control in that way. And that, that fixation started translating over to food. And it was an interesting experience for me because thinking back and like trying to put myself back there, I didn't relate to having a disordered relationship with food. It didn't feel like it was about the food to me. It felt like it was about trying to feel better. And, and yet it got so wound up in body image. We can't, you know, I think what's really interesting about the research on eating disorders is even if it doesn't start out as a pursuit of weight loss, or even if it doesn't center around body image, that just the act of deprivation, like physical and mental and emotional deprivation makes you start fixating on those things. Like, so even if you weren't hyper obsessed with your body before you become hyper obsessed with your body when you're restricting those lines of like, is it disordered eating? Is it an eating disorder? And like where that crosses gets so blurry, especially in the athletic space. And then you add, no, it's okay. (laughs) No, I love, no, I, I love that you added that because it is, it was that blurry line of like, disorder eating, eating disorder? Am I just being, am I just eating like every other like elite runner that I know? Right. You know, cause it's so rampant in that space in many spaces and, um, and, or is it OCD, right? Like it's all of these things that it's just, the lines are so blurry and so hard to decipher. And as you probably know really well, Jenna, like when you're in it, you can't, you can't see even the blurry line. Like you can't see any of it, you know, cause you're kind of living in survival mode and you have the external validation. I feel, I don't want to be t- uh, telling your story. So I apologize, but I feel like where I relate is like the external validation is what's fueling the obsession to some extent. And for you as an athlete, the external validation is like the wins, the times, like the yeah. success in that field or in that space or in your sport, however you want to describe it. And I'm sure so many athletes can relate to this where it's like you are actually working for the external validation, which also comes in this like fuel for this disorder or d- these disordered habits. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, you're spot on it's, and it, and the, the compliments and the praise and the validation, they happen and they reinforce the behaviors. And then they, then they start to quiet down once people get concerned, right? Like, it's like, there's like a graph I could draw of like, right. It's, it's like, it's like, everybody praises you. You're doing such healthy things. You're performing so well, but the body can't sustain that. Right. So if you're restricting eventually that performance is going to dip. Eventually your body is going to start like recognizing that it's in, you know, that it's under attack essentially from the restriction. And, and then the, the compliments start, they, they fade. And, and then you are stuck with the pain of like, how did I get here? And how do I get out of here? 
right? Yeah. Like, what, what changed? Well, it's interesting you say that because it's so, I mean, this is where it shows up in people. Like we know that anorexia is actually way more prevalent in folks in fat bodies than it is in people who show up in emaciated bodies. And there's, there is no difference except the body size. Like mm-hmm. the disease itself is the same. And, and so it's funny that even when people lose a certain amount of weight, even if they do, cause some people don't with restriction, um, it's, it's like nothing really does change except your body. And that's when things start like getting really confusing, right? Nothing changed. Your behaviors didn't even change, but people are noticing. And people, I think that there's like, it comes a point. I know for my, in my own experience, like it came a point where, you know, the compliments became concern, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's like, all of a sudden the, the concern became loud, which then fuels the disordered habits further. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it comes back to this overarching message that I know you preach. I know I preach. I know Sam preaches. We preach it on Mm -hmm. here as well. Of like not commenting on people's bodies because you don't know the fuel you're adding to the fire. That is, you know, the dedicated heavy air quotes person or the motivation for this athlete or human being like creating this change. And Oh, it's, that's so, it's so tough. I drink AG1 in the mid morning time and I very much so enjoy it. I used to take two multivitamin pills plus a probiotic, but now because I drink AG1, I just mix it with water and I don't have to take those three pills because AG1 has not only the 75 vitamins and minerals mixed in there, but it also has the amazing probiotic in there. So it has the science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients. Now you might be saying, AG1, isn't that a greens powder? No, it is not a greens powder. It is a nutritional supplement that just happens to be the color green. And that's something that Jenna and I are really passionate about educating on with this podcast is that we only back nutritional supplements that are NSF certified. It is the number one certification that you need to look for on any of your nutritional supplements. And AG1 has it. It means it's been third-party tested. It's regulated. What is in the product, what they say is in the product is actually in the product. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective way to add more vitamins and minerals into your everyday, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free year supply of the vitamin D with your first purchase. You can go to drinkag1.com forward slash fork. That's drinkag1.com forward slash fork to check it out. So, okay, back to you. (laughs) you. So where do we go Uh, from here? (laughs) Well, I want to say, but what you just said, it's, um, what's important about that is like checking in on our people, irrespective of what's going on with their body or their appearance. Like the same stuff was going on for me, both when I didn't quote unquote look sick and when I did. And so we have to start identifying that, unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, in the context of diet culture and anti-fatness and all of the other intersecting systems of oppression, like we, 
When someone says that they're just trying to eat healthier and exercise more, that needs to be a red flag, no matter what, no matter what, because it, no matter what their body looks like, no matter what size they are, no matter whether it appears to be quote unquote healthy, we should always ask a few questions and get curious. Like it doesn't need to get to the point that you and I are talking about where the compliments turn into concern. Like what if we always just came with like curiosity and compassion and like ask people how they're doing in general, right? Rather than making assumptions that they're doing well, if they're like looking making a, a change. Way. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. I love what you just said. And like to add on to this, it's like the compliments turn to concern and then you as the disordered person become angry and try to, to yes. right, try to fix like this you get loop, right? You get yeah. defensive and you're trying to defend why you're doing these things and why, you know, these, these changes are happening and it's quote unquote for our health um, or for your health. And then it actually takes the disorder further is what, you know, my own personal experience was. But I, I love what you just said here, like all of the ways. And I think, you know, I've, find on social media, and this is not where I wanted to take this episode, but I think we can. Um, but I find on social media that there's like two camps, right? And then there's obviously the nuance and the gray in between, but there's like the promotion of weight loss, nutrition space. And then there's the anti-diet space on the other side that gets, you know, there's a lot going on in that space and everything in between. And I find that people are now fearful of even saying something like, I just want to eat healthier because they don't even know what that means. So mm -hmm. what you're saying that I love so much is like, it should be a red flag because what they likely mean is I want to lose weight because this is yes. what the only thing I know to be healthy, yes. which is really sad and scary. Super sad and scary. I always say like context matters, right? Like there's nothing wrong with like, if somebody said to me, like, what's wrong with wanting to eat healthy? Nothing except what's your <laughs> we definition live in of a culture <laughs> exactly that has exactly that has framed healthy as something very restrictive mm -hmm. and very deprivation focused and very much partaking in like punitive exercise or a lot of rigidity, like things that don't leave us any space for joy or pleasure in our life. And if we're reducing health to that, like what kind of life are we living, right? Like not a healthy life. And by my definition of health and well-being now, right? Like, but when you're in it, you think these are the only things that matter is like what I eat and how much I move. And you, you aren't taught. None of us are taught. We're all taught that that's like the whole pie. Like if health was a pie chart, we're taught that it's just like how much you exercise and what you eat. And it's, it's, right. Equals 100% of your health. Yeah. Which is such a reductive way to scientifically incorrect, you know, but it's, you know, I say like with the social determinants of health, if we take that into account, like what we big. eat and how much we move <laughs> our body is like, it's like a tiny little sliver of like less than 10%. And I even say on top of that, if we're thinking about that 10%, is that 10% actually about like super obsessive exercise and eating lots of kale or is it just about like eating enough food wait but you can't eat kale if you're a carnivore so that's so true <laughs> yeah no no kale yeah things change every day
I'm probably not up on that yet because I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> oh my God. Me and the carnivores on TikTok go at it. Okay. That's all you need to know. But you know, I, I love that this is just, it's so powerful. And an experience, what I wrote down when you were talking before is what I remembered, you know, earlier today, it was like one o'clock when I, I came home, the, our nanny had just put my son down for his nap. And she was like, I'm so excited. Or Noah's so excited. My son, he got you a book at the library. And I was I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, it's like a princess book. Um, and she was like, but you're going to hate it. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, there's a page in this book where the parents make her eat vegetables and all she wants is cupcakes. And they tell her no to the cupcakes. And she gets really upset eating the yucky vegetables. And she's like, so you're just going to need to skip over that page. So like, when that she knows that, like, she knows me well enough to know that, like, you know, she couldn't say no to him at the library because she was preventing a meltdown. Totally get it. Warning the mom, like, hey, this is what was is context of this book. Definitely skip that page. Like, she's aware of it and she's not promoting that with him. That's a win. What a loss for our society that this is a book that kids are taking out at the library. So it all goes with what you're saying of it's ingrained in our culture from he's two, from yeah, age two so upsetting to read those things in a book yeah. right and it's geared yeah. towards you know it's geared towards girls I always tell him pick out a princess book for mommy at the library so like he's looking for yeah. one for me and he's found, I think it's called like pinklicious she said so like Aww. you know it's definitely geared towards a specific population of people yeah. and starting at age two that's a message that we are we are providing for them. Like yeah. what, where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah. It's so damaging. And cause like we were saying before, I mean, the, the, the problem is how we're defining health now. Mm. Right. Like, and that we're teaching kids from such a young age to your point, like the wrong definition of health, like simply something that's all about a, yeah, all about food and movement, but and, and unattainable, right? Like we're all, we're all healthy and we're all unhealthy. Like we're all like, it is like this totally like gray area of, of it's just messy. Life is messy. Like you might have, you might have, you know, a cholesterol level in the like green zone, but you might be suffering from depression. You might be like, you know, you might have excellent, you know, blood sugar management, but you are, you can't have children. Like there's, there is no, like, how do we singularly define this? You know, we can't, and we're doing everybody such a disservice by getting them so hyper-focused on these two things that ultimately end up for a lot of us, most of us, um, in, something that is just so it's so depleting and it it makes our life so small and sad and it's such, it's just damaging you know and it's also defined just not clearly and it's called orthorexia and it's mm -hmm. just that nobody walks around with that diagnosis mm -hmm. but it's just completely normalized in our society yes. Yes. And I know there is a clear-cut DSM-5 diagnosis or diagnostic cr criteria for orthorexia. However, like we were saying before, those lines are so blurry that in order to get that diagnosis to seek help or maybe to get the insurance credits for, you know, to get the help, um, 
it's, it's really hard to define because it's normalized by the 7.7 billion people that are on TikTok or mm-hmm. on Instagram or whatever social media platforms you frequent. It's just, it's wild. So before we take this further, when I feel like your story ended and I went on a tangent of- I went on a tangent were, too. That's what we do as podcasters, right? It's right. it's the sign of a really good conversation. <laughs> but I want to take it to where you are now in your practice because I, oh, yeah. the end of your story can really be something that the next question that I have for you is just, it's going to tie it together so nicely. So I think to connect the dots like the most efficiently here, I think the autoimmune stuff played a huge role. Like it forced me to slow down. Um, And I had, you know, I kind of got these like just one after another diagnoses and I have, so I have Hashimoto's. Um, I have uh, a neurological autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre. That is what really took me out of running um, because it like hospitalized me for a long time. I couldn't move. I mean, like it took me out for a really, really long time. And then I was later, actually, you'll, you'll get fired up about this, Jenna. <laughs> um, as I was like recovering from already? all of that, <laughs> like, <laughs> just getting heated and getting here. ready. <laughs> I mean, it's coming. So all this time I hadn't had a, like a cycle, like a period in a really long time. And while I was running competitively, doctors were not concerned. Why do you think so? Because it's quote unquote normal. To be a female athlete. Yeah. It look, it's fine. You're just, it's what do they call it the female athlete triad. Yeah. That's what we yeah. learned in health class, right? Yeah. But no one gets concerned. It's like, oh, no. that just makes sense because you're yeah. an athlete. Oh, you fit the triangle. That's right. That's right. So that's why. So no one investigated it further. Everybody just assumed, doctors assumed that's what was going on. So fast forward like 10 years and I've like com- really f- like fully recovered from my eating disorder and I'm still not getting a period. Right. Um, and I remember actually really, really vividly being in an endocrinologist office and he told me, he said, okay, yeah, you're right. This is weird. He said, but can you do me a favor? He's like, can you just stand up for me and hold up your shirt? Um, and I was like, okay. He's like, I just want to see, like, I want to see, you know, like, you know, what your body size. And I, yeah, I know, I know. And I remember pulling up a shirt and he's like, no, you're right. He's like, yeah. He's like, you've got plenty of fat on your body. So, you know, I don't know why you'd be missing (laughs) sweaters coming off. (laughs) So you can see like that once, once there was concern then, oh yeah, now there's a there, now there's no reason why you should be missing a period or not thin enough to be missing a period. But we know people in all body sizes can be experiencing hypothalamic amenorrhea, right? Just like any person can be experiencing an eating disorder, any body size. Anyways, this finally triggered them looking into it. And this is all to say that like weight stigma for 10 years prevented me from getting this diagnosis. They found out I had a tumor in my pituitary gland and which was suppressing all my hormones all these years. The chills now. And hot to cold. Hot to cold, hot to cold. Yeah, and and I, I had this kind of, I don't know. I think that's when I really started seeing how weight stigma affected everyone and these assumptions that we had about fat bodies, these assumptions that we had about thin bodies. And the fact that if somebody in like the fact that you and I in, in school are taught to prescribe diets to people that actually mirror eating disorders in thin people, right. Is really is something that also was like, wait a minute for me. And so all these experiences, um, 
not to mention the autoimmune stuff made me step away from running, which was a really good thing for me. Like, and forced me to slow down. I went back to school and I went back to school through the lens of health at every size and weight inclusive care and intuitive eating. So I went through years of graduate school in total frustration in classes, just listening to the diet culture, you know, you can imagine like, but I'm also thankful for that because I know so many, I know so many providers and practitioners. If you go to school while you're still steeped in it yourself, it can make it worse, right? Like it can 100%. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am. And I, I mean, I just continued to learn. And I think the social justice aspect of it is what really secured me in the space. Just really thinking about how this applies to all different, like marginalized communities and groups and, and folks and the intersectionality involved in it. And I just, it's, it's the, you can't unsee it thing. Right. And I like, I'm, I'm literally speech clearly speech cat got my tongue about your story because we hear this so often in in stories from humans living in larger bodies like I they I was short of breath I think was right. an example from our episode with Dr. Asher Larmy um when they yeah. said you know somebody came and said I was short of breath and the doctor said lose weight came back six months later, like I'm still short of breath, lose more weight. It turns out they had lung cancer and like passed away. Right. So you hear that off more often in people living in larger bodies, but for you, I mean, the fact that the care that was just like looked over and thank Mm -hmm. God you're okay. Like it's, it's just my, I literally have the chills. (laughs) It's mind boggling. Like the harm we're doing to everybody in every size body by using weight as some measure of health, right? And assuming yes. that somebody's healthy because they are they ha- are in a straight size body, assuming that somebody is unhealthy because they're in a fat body, not running adequate testing on any of those people based on those assumptions, misdiagnoses, it's a mess. And assuming someone's mental health too. So I'm currently Ugh, pregnant. I'm like, yes. my, the baby is like, you could literally see him like popping f- feet out of my belly right I now. Wish but I wish He's like angry. Um, he's angry. But the, uh, you know, the assumption or the, the assumption of somebody's mental health, I think is another huge piece of it. So I've had this experience now where like, I am in recovery as well, or quote unquote recovered, yes. but However I don't we think, talk right. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever be fully recovered. Um, and you know, I got to a point in this second pregnancy where like getting weight at the doctor's office, wasn't making me mentally feel great personal experience. Right. Yeah. So I've asked them for the past, cause now I go every two weeks cause I'm at the end here and I've asked them every single time, I'm not going to get weighed today. And the questions of why, or why not, or they're coming back with questions, questions. Oh, and so. I'm like, the assumption is like, I should just do it, but right. you're assuming that my mental health is okay. And that it's not going to have implications on it. And so I always talk to my clients about it. Like if they say, why you say you can talk to my dietitian or like we That's arm right. them yeah. with whatever types of responses are necessary for them. But if that were to be me six years ago, seven yes. years ago, I yes. would have crumbled yes. in that scenario. Right. Totally. And it would have sent me into a spiral. Um, and I, I just feel like everything that you're saying, I'm like so fired up. Right I know now. I get really pissed thinking <laughs> about it. You're reminding me, I just talked to, I just talked to a client I mean, it's just all, it's just all so wild. I just talked to a client who 
was, um, who needed to get surgery for a hip. Right. Mm. And they told her that she had to lose weight first in order, of course, to get this surgery. Now, what's really interesting is that the amount of weight they told her she needed to lose, put her at a weight that I've had another client at who was also told to lose weight before the surgery. So you're, it's, it's complete and utter bullshit. And it's arbitrary. Like they're, they're asking her to lose weight to a certain point where they would have still, if somebody walked in at that weight, told them to lose weight. Best thing, get ready to sweat Um. is that the next time she came in, the next time she came in, they told her that actually they recommend she get bariatric surgery first. Oh, so you're telling me you can perform bariatric surgery on this person, but you can't, but you can't do the hip, the knee. So we want her to get an extra surgery before the surgery that you said you couldn't perform because of weight, but somehow you can perform the bariatric surgery at the weight. It's you need to go on TikTok just to follow the quote unquote, who says it? Shannon uh, Maxwell, Sharon Maxwell. Oh, I love says, Sharon. Um, Osler. She doesn't say the Osler. So you love have her. to go on to just see the Osler doctors try and defend themselves in all of these conversations, because it's exactly what you're saying. Like it yeah. doesn't add up, but that is the narrative that so many people want yeah. to subscribe to Yeah. Um, because it seems like a really easy solution to the reality being that it just creates so many more problems, like especially with bariatric surgery. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and to so, go back to, yeah, go yeah, ahead, please. No, no, you Oh, go. I was going to go back to the mental health thing that you said, because yes, I think please. that, I think this is the whole important thing in my whole, in the whole thread of everything that I've been through and probably you and everybody that I've ever worked with, which is like that there's something that predisposes us to reaching for control of food or exercise Mm. in the first place. And that's overlooked always. Right. Like, so my OCD, my anxiety, right. Trauma that I experienced when I was little, like all of these things, it's it, and it's true for everyone else. Like it was there prior to the disordered eating. And so we can't just look at somebody's body size or what they're eating and expect to like help them heal from what they've gone through. We have to go back and actually look at like, we have to prioritize mental health. Like basically what you were saying is like doctors are continually prioritizing weight over a person's mental well-being and emotional well-being. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yes. It's, so, it's so interesting too, because it's just not what cells, right? So like I even put up a post last night and I was talking to I'm I have a, a consistent group chat with two of my favorite dietitians besides Sam, Sam when you're listening. And besides <laughs> you Abby. Um but Delina Soto and Clara, uh your dietitian BFF yeah. and your Latina nutritionist and I was talking about how I put up this video about like behavior change and like it's an yeah. emphasis on stress management and sleep and like it has under a thousand views for a I have a decently large following on there. Yeah. And like another dietitian put up one about weight loss and it has like views in the millions and it's just like you know it's because nobody bonkers it's not sexy right and I even had an experience with a client recently where 
you know, she said to me, we're talking about stress management. We even had lab work, not to look at her hormones, but we were looking Mm -hmm. at like patterns of like blood sugar and things like her cholesterol. And just like, we were looking at months worth of patterns and I deducted it down to, you know, stress management because everything else like health wise was okay. Mm -hmm. So we were talking a lot about stress and I was connecting the dots, the science, like really getting into it. It's my favorite topic. And she said to me, we were on zoom and she looked at me and she's like, Jenna, I want to believe you, but like, mm, it sounds really woo woo. And I'm like, I know, but it's good, right? I'm like, I know, but it's because it's one of those things where you don't do it for a week or a month or, you know, the 60, what is it? No, it's whole 30. So like the 75 days or whatever it is and automatically see results. Like the Mm -hmm. results or the changes are going to come slow and consistent over time. But you're not going to just like look in the mirror and be like, I've managed my stress. Totally. <laughs> like, that's I mean, we live in, a, we live in a, the world is burning around us. Like we're literally always, <laughs> like, it's like, we're all stressed, but <gasps> right? stress is one of my favorite topics ever because like the stress of exercise and, and rigid eating and restriction is like, it's, it's catastrophic, right? Like God. to our bodies and our brains. And you're right. People myself included, I'm sure you at one point, like at one point we're all of us were like, what do you mean? That's stress. like, no, this is healthy. Like, and stress, like that can't possibly impact my health that much. Right. Like, but quite the contrary, it's one of the leading causes and risk factors for chronic illness. I mean, and I'm like very, disease. <laughs> I'm ve- yes. And I'm very convinced that that and was, uh, huh. <laughs> yep. Isn't that interesting? Right. It's like, no, you should eat less sugar. Um, or not stress about it. <laughs> or we should reduce stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that was the thread through all of it. I don't think that I would have, I, I don't, and I mean, there's a lot of grief in this and I'm able to talk about it really neutrally now, but I really feel like I would not have developed the five chronic illnesses that I have had I not put my body under so much stress. Like, Ooh, yes. right. My husband and I talk about this all the time. He has Graves disease. So the opposite yeah. of Hashimoto's yeah. and stress management, because he went to more like a functional medicine doctors in addition mm-hmm. to traditional medicine. And yeah. they deduced it all down to stress yeah. for him. And, you know, managing that. And he's now like meditate. He wakes up at like 4 30 to meditate every oh, morning. You go, girl. Like, um, not me, him. I know you. I know <laughs> I'm, like, you. I'm like, he's like, do you want to come? Like, Absolutely not. Like, I'll find I, my I'll own be stress sleeping. management. <laughs> bed bed is stress management for me especially right now um but you know and knock on wood and all of the things like he's doing really well and has been able to come off medications and all of the things Mm. from a consistent stress you know pattern or stress reduction pattern so I think that oh I see a doggy my dog is totally sleeping (laughs) but I think that it is (laughs) It's just this very overlooked thing. And, you know, where I wanted to kind of circle back quickly is I think people hearing this will say or think like, okay, but I have these chronic illnesses or now I've been diagnosed with them. And the messaging around it is if I do focus more on, you know, what I'm eating will that help me? Because that is what all of the doctors and the professionals, quote unquote, are going to start with, right? So like navigating a diagnosis like that and 
having the desire to change your nutrition or your diet, which is really just the food that you're eating. Like, how would you, sorry, burps from pregnancy. How would you, how would you advise somebody to like tread lightly, but also, you know, follow that path? Oh, that's such a good question. I think we're so, we're so, it's so easy for us to fall prey to that when -hmm. we're suffering, right? When you're having really, really awful symptoms with chronic illness or an autoimmune condition or any medical condition, it can make us really desperate, really, really desperate for anything to help. And Mm -hmm. so when someone suggests an elimination protocol or changing the way that we eat, actually compared to a lot of things, it can sound seemingly innocent, right? And it can, it can be like, oh, the reaction can kind of be like, what's the harm, right? Why not try this? Why wouldn't, like, sure, I'll try this. And that was definitely my reaction. Like what, like this can't hurt, right? (laughs) LOL. Um, <laughs> wished Abby could have fast forwarded 15 years, but I think that's the problem, right? Like that we we're sold these, we feel, I mean, I'll speak for myself and, and folks that I work with. Like, it feels like you have to like atone for like some kind of sin that your body has, right? It, it's like, you've done something wrong or you haven't done enough and you have to figure out a way to fix it. And you feel like your body's like deviant and you can't trust it. And if you're sitting in, yeah, like that you're broken in some way. And so if a doctor, an expert is sitting in front of you and telling you to eat differently and that that will allow you to get off medication or like get rid of your, like, I mean, who wouldn't jump on that? Right. And I think what we need to do is, is actually back up and ask about the evidence because there isn't research that supports that for chronic illness. There just isn't right. Like the only research that we have that even comes close to suggesting that something could possibly maybe be helpful is with digestive disorders, like actual, like non-functional, like true digestive conditions, right? Belly isn't an appropriate book to follow. Uh, (laughs) Right. Sorry, I, had to. I, I mean, no, it's that stuff. I remember sitting, I mean, Jenna, oh my God, talk about stress, right? The books I now I'm like reading just for fun. As I go to bed, I think about the books that I would read at night going to sleep and it would be like the thyroid elimination protocol for Hashimoto, you know? And at the time it was like, I was very like, I was like, oh, gotta like figure this out. And so I would read it when I went to how much stress that was causing me. I was like going to right. bed reading that. Like I was basically reading up on all the ways that I had somehow failed my own body and all of these things that I had to do that personal responsibility narrative that we hear in healthism and wellness culture of like how you're supposed to fix it. And so I guess my answer to this question, as I go on a tangent is like, I think we have to ask some questions. We have to, first of all, I really caution people against taking nutrition advice from even doctors, honestly, (laughs) like truly, because they plastic didn't have surgeons. a lot of plastic surgeons, <laughs> chiropractors. I would, I love what you said earlier. You were talking about like how, when you coach folks, like to just say, actually, I'm working with a dietitian on this. Like, so can we talk about other ways that you suggest that I like manage these symptoms or like, are there like, what medications do you suggest? If you're in a larger body, always suggest asking like, what would you prescribe to a thin person who had the same condition? Right? Like really asking questions and, and coming at this from a place of like, 
it is very unlikely that food is the culprit. It is very unlikely. We do not have anything that suggests that food is curative of chronic illness. We don't like, so I think it's that, that cannot be the low hanging fruit. I actually think stress is the low hanging fruit most of the time to go back to like, especially your husband's experience. That was mine. Like setting up my life in a way that didn't leave me completely run down and drained every day is what has made all the difference. Like the fact that I'm eating freely, lots of food. I've like been sleeping. I don't like, I don't engage in any of the restrictive stuff that like exercise, all of that. Like I, I rest a lot (laughs) and I feel so much better. And I think like even hearing this, I don't think I've ever said this piece out loud, but like truthfully, I can deduce everything in my own story down to stress too, in a different way. And I think for me, I turned to, so, you know, super, super quickly, like I was never a professional an athlete like you, but I always tried. <laughs> Fitness was always you... like in my blood. Um, I always loved sports no, I know and you're you know, such an athlete. whatever, yeah. whatever else. And that was just always my passion. But when there was a lot of stress in my life in, you know, starting in, it's like 2014, it's like the mm-hmm. start 2013, 14, um, got engaged, like getting ready mm-hmm. for the wedding and then navigating posts married life and, you know, changing mm-hmm. in our lives, like all of that was stress. And the only tool in my toolbox yes. that I ever had to manage stress was fitness. Yes. So I obsessed over fitness mm-hmm. because I was good at it. Mm-hmm. You and knew how to do it. I knew how to do it well. And I knew how mm-hmm. to get that external validation. Um, And so that was where my demise came from. And it's interesting because I've had this conversation with my husband recently, like since being pregnant, where like, you really need to manage your stress while you're pregnant. And I've had Mm -hmm. plenty of it for the past nine months. Um, But one of the things we were talking about is like, he's like, do you remember, or I actually came to the point where I said, he's like, you're working so much right now. You're doing too much. Like what is going on? And I said, I've healed my relationship with fitness to the point where I don't use that for stress management anymore. Mm-hmm. But when I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed and need to like have something go right in my life, I know I'm a really fucking good dietitian. Like I know mm-hmm. I'm really good at Jenna. work, yeah. right? I know mm-hmm. I'm really good when I create content and I'm creative or I'm writing or whatever yeah. it is. So I pour my anxiety into that. And he was like, ding, 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 time to go back to therapy. (laughs) Good hubby. You know, you just brought something up that is like, who I like am. I'm so happy. I was just talking about this with my group, which is like, we need to give ourselves permission to do things that we don't think we're quote unquote good at just for fucking fun. Like, because we double down to your point on all these things that are giving us this really false sense of self-worth and value. And that doesn't actually fix the problem. Like what we need is more pleasure, more satisfaction, more joy, more presence in our life. And that's something we can't access when we're trying to rigidly control everything. Like it's actually the antithesis of being able to have pleasure and joy in our life. Like we can only access pleasure and joy when we're present and we can't be present when we're trying to hyper control everything, like it's just, it doesn't work. 
And you're, um, you're so right. Oh my God. Like the worst that my autoimmune flares ever got. I was in the most toxic job. It was awful. I was so stressed, but of course the whole time I'm blaming it on food. Like on gluten, right? right. <laughs> I mean, no, no lie. Like absolutely gluten and dairy. And there, and I mean, I'm just spinning my wheels. Like we all do trying to control the thing we can control when we're just being distracted from the big picture, you know? And I think that's what we got to look at. Like that's a compassionate approach of like, not trying to like beat ourselves up with more restriction and deprivation, but like thinking about expansion and like, how can we like add to our life in like meaningful ways and not just live our life. Like we're just trying to check boxes every day, mm. you know, as I, look at, as I look at my to-do I list, right? I know. No, I gravitate it's... towards that too. Yeah. It's so true. And I think finding that balance is so important. And I think for our listeners today, this was one of the most powerful conversations I've had in a really long time. And I'm so excited to, to share this. And if somebody is listening and they're like, okay, they went over a ton of things today. What is one thing that I should take away from this conversation? What would that be? Such a hard question. And you're right. Oh my God. How many tangents did we go on? You know, like they flowed really well though. It did. We, yeah. Excellent. Excellent flow. Um, well, first of all, you're just amazing. And I feel like back like, at you. I'm, I feel I'm like just, we were meant to have this combo. I'm <laughs> really gonna I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to get your cell phone number. Um so what would I take away from today? I think it is to take a deeper look at what's going on for you when you feel pulled to to use exercise or food like restriction as a means to feel like safe and in control in your life, mm-hmm. right? Because we've been conditioned to do that. And that's not our fault. Like that's really like put on a silver platter for us, especially those of us who are socialized as women, like to do these things and then we'll be lovable and worthy and successful. You know, people will respect us. Like, but really take a look at like, if just going back to my own story, like had I actually addressed the anxiety itself, had I actually addressed the OCD, had I gotten support and help. And to your point earlier in the conversation, could we just ask each other what's really going on rather than praising or concern trolling bodies, right? Like look deeper, like just create the pause, like just long enough to pause and ask yourself, like what else could be going on? Am I not sleeping a lot? Like, am I super stressed? Is I really unhappy in my job? Do I need to talk to my partner about stuff going on in our relationship? Like what kind of pressure am I putting on myself here versus like taking a look at how I'm actually feeling? Um, Mm. Cause I think we can trust that, you know, I, I just think we're so, we're so trained and taught to not trust ourselves and to not trust what we're feeling that we like try to numb it out with things. Or yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That was so good. And the only thing that I want to add to this before we Please let our add. listeners find you is Abby is also a fan of the exact same bread as me and a chicken salad lover. And I don't think I've ever found another person that has the same views on stress and chicken salad. And I just feel Fucking very love chicken happy salad. Right God, all the mayo, been, like my, so mayo-y. I have been on a tour of Monmouth County, New Jersey, trying to find the best chicken salad because my entire pregnancy, it's the only protein that I've craved. The only mm-hmm. one. And I currently have found there's a place very close to me 
that has like the shredded, like oh, finely, it's gotta be shredded. shredded chicken it's salad, and it's because that's when it gets the mayo in it perfectly. I think that there's pickles in it. Like I was <gasps> looking at it before, and I think I saw a pickle. Like it was, I can't even describe to you. I hide. So it's like I, a savory. Does it? like pickly is there like red onion what's going red on onion, carrot uh-huh. definitely um, carrot maybe okay. something else green like I was trying to peel it out today and then yeah, I just threw totally. it on the toast need... and <laughs> finished it we're up we're gonna need but... I'm gonna need a photo I'm gonna send you a photo of the one that I've been eating um I'm gonna go on the way for fly. ingredients and I'm going okay. to I'm gonna message it to you okay <laughs> oh yeah it's gotta be to shredded so if anybody, for everybody, I should say, who wants to learn more about you, the programs that you offer, how to work with you, and just how to hear more of you, where can they find Abby? Thank you. <laughs> I'm just airing out my armpits. Like um, oh, that was good. That was creative. Like just, right? I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited. Um, okay. Well, you can follow me on Instagram. That's mainly where I hang out. Um, that's at Abby Atwood wellness. Um, my, my website is abbyatwoodwellness.com. I have a podcast, um, which Jenna, you should come on. Um, I would love to, it's just called the full account. plate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Full plate podcast. And, um, if you're on my website, you can sign up for my newsletter. I run coaching programs every few months. Um, I do one-on-one, um, all of that good stuff you can find on my website. So I think Instagram and the pod are like the two main places to hang out with me. Well, I just signed up for your newsletter too. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, this was so amazing. And I know we're going to help so many people. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh my God. Right back at you. You are like a, just a ray of sunshine in the world. I love following you. I love listening to you. You make me happy. I connect with you on so many levels. So thank you for doing what you do. You're just amazing. Oh, you make me cry. I'm hormonal, but I feel the same way about you. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at whatthefork.pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for more fun.